and welcome to Let's Talk SciComm, a podcast by the University of Melbourne Science Communication Teaching Team. I'm Associate Professor Jen Martin and my wonderful co-host is Dr Michael Wheeler and we believe that science isn't finished until it's communicated. Hello everybody, it's Jen and as always I am so thrilled to welcome you to another episode of Let's Talk SciComm and of course what makes it even better is that I'm joined by my excellent friend and colleague Michael. G'day Michael. G'day Jen. Oh he <laughs> did, did a g'day, yes! <laughs> did, I, did I pass it off? Marilyn, first question, how good was that g'day on a scale of one to that ten? Was a, that was a pretty good g'day, that wasn't bad. No, I've got an English husband and, and such so yeah no. You, you passed there. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Thank you, everyone. I've made it. I'm officially an Australian <laughs> now. Very excited for today's episode, Jen. We have a very special guest with us, Marilyn Jones, who is the founder and director of MExec Careers, a company that provides career coaching and recruitment services for professionals in science, technology, and medical sectors. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. No, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. And it's really great to have you on, Marilyn, because I know you've really got a wealth of experience in the industry and you've helped thousands of people find their dream jobs and advance their careers. Marilyn, I know you're also a longstanding supporter of our SciComm teaching program. You speak with our students every year and every year we always get feedback from them that it was such a valuable session. So we're really thrilled that you're here today and you're going to share some of that wisdom with our podcast audience. Thank you. No, that's great. Actually, Jen was probably, when I first started my business, the first time I actually did public speaking in probably about five, <laughs> ten years. And it was like coming back from not doing it was really daunting, but I love it. And it's been a great journey with Jen and the team at Melbourne Uni. And Marilyn, I was trying to remember, how did we first meet? I feel like were you and I both on a panel years and years and years ago, and I immediately went, oh, she's amazing. We need to get her <laughs> to come and talk to our students. <laughs> Look, I was on a panel at Melbourne Uni for the careers department. It might have been through that, but to be honest, it was back 2011 or, or a long time ago, so I actually can't recall, definitely. No, um, I can't recall either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's suffice it to say, though, that to me it became apparent very early that not only did you have a background in science, which really really places you in such a strong position to do your job well. But even though, as you say, you hadn't done a lot of public speaking recently, Mm -hmm. you are such a great communicator yourself. And the students just, it's just like gold, you know, dripping from the trees when they get to listen to you, because you're actually out there working with with organisations, working with employers, working working in the the thick of things. Students just want to understand more about Mm -hmm. how they're going to get the job that they want. What are people looking for? How do they best present themselves? And we just feel so fortunate fortunate that you always make time for us and yet again you've done that today so thank you no no look I've been recruiting since 1998 and that's the year Google started so for me (laughs) I've seen a huge evolution in recruitment and employer change and how we recruit and everything so look it's it's great I love hearing the students have that sort of feedback but yeah and we as I said Sue myself and the team really love helping them to sort of get that journey and move ahead hopefully faster than we had to because we just Mm. didn't have that support and advice Mm. like what you guys do and and bringing people in like myself and others in the industry. Yeah, you're right because it can be hard to imagine what happens next after uni. So having someone like yourself who has got that experience, you know, you've been there, you've, you've actually got a science background yourself and then 
you decided to pivot into recruitment. So I'd love to ask you to maybe talk us a little bit through that transition. I think the first thing that reminds me that is probably relevant is that when I was talking to my course advisors at uni, the only course was academia and you were seen as the dark side if you went anywhere else. And I think that's really changed. And I think I've seen a real increase in engagement from universities and others to look at careers outside of academia. So back then, I didn't talk to enough people. I just went and did what I thought was the right thing. I didn't do enough research. And I really think that that, you know, has taken me on a different journey that ended up on the dark side selling products to laboratories, visiting a lot of the laboratories around Victoria, selling them things like max spectrometry and protein synthesis and DNA, very early days of those sort of products. And I was made redundant as well as a lot of the team. And it sort of mm. made me have to think about what was next. Mm. And I think a lot of people we talk to are going through redundancies all the time. And I think having personally gone through that, it's a very daunting time. It's very unsettling. And I think what it enabled me to do, though, was to look around and look at other opportunities. And that's when I saw this little ad in the newspaper, <laughs> a tiny little ad. Back in those days, there was no internet. You know, everything was in the newspapers on a Saturday. And for a recruiter, and it said this, this, and this, and I thought, oh, let's go for an interview, went for an interview, and got the job. So I think for me, that transition from science and sales and then into recruitment, I really wasn't someone that knew what they were going to do next. It was really just looking at what the opportunities were there and then and sort of taking them at mm. that time. And little did I know that here I am 25 odd years later, I'm still recruiting, which I love doing. Mm. But I mean, not only are you still here 25 years later, mm. but you're absolutely thriving. I mean, and you tell us often that you really enjoy your job and I know you absolutely excel at your job. So I think it's not just kind of sticking power, it's actually being really, really successful. I think one of the things I, I sort of say when I'm actually doing a talk now, I actually got a, one up in Sydney next week at an institute, is I finally found what I want to do when I grow up. And, you know, it is. I finally found it. And I didn't know until I actually am in it running my own company, which I never thought I would do. And I I heard Gillian Clark, he was speaking the other night and he said, it's really not that hard to start a business. Mm. It really is not. And sometimes you just got to give it a go. And I think that's another part of what we do is really encourage people to think about starting a business Mm -hmm. and uh, starting it and doing it a lot earlier than someone like myself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's never too late though. Come on. No, it's not. No. And as I said, I'm not going anywhere for the next 10, 15 years. I'm loving what I'm doing. I can't see myself doing anything else except for building a business and, Mm. and doing what we do with my team. And I, you know, I was started out with me and now I've got five. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's incredible, Marilyn. So yeah. I know that your agency, MExec, really specialises in particular areas. And from my understanding, that's life sciences, pharmaceuticals, technology, med tech. And I'm interested in, I guess, why you're specialising in those areas. Is that because that's where the jobs are? And whether your answer to that is yes or no, what's the current job market like in those mm-hmm. sectors? And if there are job seekers out there who know they have an interest in those areas, are they right in thinking that this area is enormous? and a place of great opportunity? Uh, Definitely to answer that last question, I think it's a great place of great opportunity. I think Australia is really starting to do really, really well globally. The reason why I am in this area is I am a biotechnologist, biochemist, you know, immunologist back from my undergrad and and days. And I'd always loved that area and I've been selling in it. But then when I moved into recruitment back in those days in the 90s, it was all about manufacturing. And we had a huge amount of pharmaceuticals and food. I worked in chemical, lots of recruitment in lots of other areas. But the biotech area was very small. Mm. 
the commercial part of it, the universities were very big. They did all their own recruitment, but the biotech was really at its nascency here in Australia. And it's not until I've talked to people and hearing these things over the years now that I realise how nascent it was. And what I always had hoped is that the biotech sector would start to grow because that was my background and my comfort zone. Yet I was, you know, fortunate to recruit in other areas. And I have noticed over those years, the ABA became Oz Biotech, a major organisation in Australia. There's been Bio Melbourne. There's been other sort of organisations that have started to spring up around that biotech sector. And that's really, I think, supported the growth. But also the university sector and their commercialisation and how they've developed is really part of where we sit. But the other exciting area is things like clinical trials. And that, I mean, I was at an event the other night with Cancer Trials Australia and back in the 80s and the 90s, the clinical trials were, again, really so early. There was no real clinical trials are very much run ad hoc, whereas now there is a huge industry and opportunity. And again, we work in that area, which is associated. So I've really seen that transition into a sector that I really love and we really like. And we have a lot of knowledge around that that I, I met, me and my team have built up over that period of time. Mm. And I think that's why we are good at it because we work in it. The other area I'm really seeing a growth in is, of course, digital tech mm. and health, particularly. They're doing some amazing things around that it's very much around that compliance and regulated digital tech is where we sit. There's a lot of healthcare digital apps, healthcare apps is coming out, which is great. Yeah, data analytics is huge. That's really data analysis coming around what's happening with patients and genomics data. And it's just really exciting field. I think it's mm. there's a really great deal of opportunity. When I first moved into recruitment in 1998, I remember saying to someone, wow, I didn't know you could do be a food tech or do food technology. (laughs) I loved cooking, but I had no idea. I came from Adelaide, but I didn't know you could do a course in how to develop food. Exciting times, I think, for everyone coming through. It is exciting times. And that growth that you've been talking about, you've obviously got a, a great perspective on that and you've been able to kind of see that develop. And it is really exciting. And it's great that you're in that position. You know, you are able to see some of these trends. And I guess while we're talking about trends, I really wanted to ask about one trend in particular, the AI trend. You know, a lot of people seem to be talking about it at the moment. A lot of people are familiar with chat GPT. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to ask, from your interactions with employers, have you a sense of how this AI trend, ChatGPT in particular, is affecting the demands of the workplace or even the recruitment industry? I'm following this very closely. We have to understand it. It's not going anywhere. and It's really part of of industry and where everything's going. Mm. Is it above my head? Absolutely. Is there so much information? (laughs) Is it like like a hot fire hose of information in your face at the moment. I feel a bit like that. You know, following it on Twitter, I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, and the experts and people I'm trying to sort of draw upon to understand that. Some of my clients are definitely using AI and are really embracing it as part of it, particularly if they're working in looking at clinical data. We're recruiting for two roles, actually, at the moment, actually require a very strong understanding of AI. And so I think that's, it is just a need that is required by most of our, will be more and more with our clients. It's going to be really interesting to see how you at the universities are able to deal with it, I think, more so, and how, <laughs> I, I think it's a minefield. Oh, yes. It's, it's absolutely, and I've got a daughter also in university in chemistry and biology and coming through and also a son. So I see it from my my kids' perspective, but also my perspective and your perspective, but also the the people that we're talking to. There's definitely, I mean, there's one app out there that you can do, put in the questions that you think you might be going for interview and put in your personal information and you can actually get the answers to the questions. Mm. So there's a massive 
massive change happening. And it's daunting, it's scary, but it's also pretty exciting in a lot of ways. And I think for us as recruiters and for me, it's going to be a tool that I'm going to have to embrace and I want to embrace because if I don't, then I'm going to be left behind as a recruiter and a hiring manager myself with my clients. You know, but I I still think in recruitment, I'm still going to have to have a conversation with you personally to know if you're the right person and you won't be able to have a computer to answer those questions. You actually have (laughs) to, you know, draw upon your knowledge. Yes, you can probably rote learn it, but... Ultimately, yep. if you get in the job and you don't work out within three or six months, you won't have that job any longer. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can certainly imagine ChatGPT being very helpful at the kind of cover letter writing stage, oh, yes. but not particularly helpful in an interview. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Your sitcom course, part of that is writing cover letters and seeing. Yes, I absolutely do. But I think, yes, I agree. The interview, but you can practice the interviews and you can do that sort of thing on Chat on ChatGPT mm. and other apps. But I think still the human interaction is such a key thing that my clients mm. are wanting. I often wonder, like, will advances like this make human interaction, you know, more valuable? Because, I don't know, maybe like the last bastion of Mm. something that AI can't do. For me, I think I agree. I think it will be something that differentiates how people recruit, how companies recruit. Be really interested to keep an eye on the really large companies and how they take on AI and whether the smaller companies encompass and embrace that. One of the things I've seen over the last, well, I suppose years with the transition is when I was a recruiter back in 1998, there was no internet, there was no emails. You know, it was very basic. So you actually had to go out and network. You had to go out and talk to people. You had to go visit them. You had to have that people interaction. And then over the next 20 years, a lot of it went on to LinkedIn, which is an amazing tool, emails everywhere, ads everywhere, and people weren't going out to meet people. And it was a real change. And I think there was a loss of that human interaction and very process driven. You see the nuances of a conversation and you watch people in a room, you see how they interact with others is really key, I think, sometimes for working out if a person's right for a job or not. And part of the hiring process and part of what my I know my employers like about what Mexic does in their recruitment space. But I've just seen that transition of going back to people face-to-face. But let's see what happens in the next five years. Mm. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, it's just such an interesting time Mm. to be in science, to be in education, to be in recruitment. I mean, there's just there's so much going on at the moment. But Marilyn, just listening to you speak and and thinking about the people who might be listening to this podcast, Mm. I think most people's perception is that as a recruiter, you get to be kind of the go-between between someone who was desperate to find their dream job and an employer who has a job and wants to find somebody brilliant to do it. But presumably when someone comes to you to get your help, that client they have their cv they've done particular things they have a set of skills they've got certain experiences they've got their credentials and then you are trying to see where they might fit or there's you know they're coming to you i imagine saying i want to get this sort of job Mm. but you know the people listening to this podcast are probably earlier in their careers Mm. with that many of our listeners are, are still studying at university so i'm just kind of thinking if you could wave a magic wand and end up with the perfect client who is going to be really competitive to get any job they want because they just have such a brilliant set of skills and experiences and everything you know what would that look like so for somebody who's still at uni now what that what should they be doing so that they can be be that person who is going to be really competitive applying for the jobs that they want I think definitely doing things outside of just the university is helpful I think the people that really stand out and the people that often my clients are looking for are people that have been part of sporting clubs or have been involved in voluntary work, or who have put that extra effort into engaging with others. Mm. There's a number of different reasons. One, they show that they're a team player, they turn up on time, they have to work together to, to try and win or lose a game, you know, hopefully win, but 
that's a reflection of maybe what they'd be like in a work environment. Working in voluntary roles and articulating it particularly well in their CV is really key. Networker, someone who's happy to talk to different people. There's certain jobs that networking is really hard and some people are really shy and maybe the right roles they should be looking at are more those around working on bioinformatics or on computers where they're sort of not having to interact with people. So I think at the early stages, the best way to think about to be competitive is to talk to as many people as you can not just me, to understand what their key strengths and attributes are so that they can help to look at the roles that might align with themselves and to really just be yourself, but also sometimes just put yourself out there. I think you guys talked in one of your podcasts about it, like it's only two minutes or one minute and then the, the stress is over. Like hmm. you put yourself out there and you if you have to call someone like for a call and it's really stressful to do, but then five minutes later it's over, like hmm. it's done. And Marilyn, one of the things that the data shows really clearly that we share with our students is that communication skills really are essential. Mm -hmm. That's what employers want. They want people who can fit in with the culture, get along with people, you know, good interpersonal skills, but also great written and and spoken communication skills. Is, Is that backed up by your experiences out there in the world? Absolutely, absolutely. So we talk about these emotional intelligence or soft skills and they are key, but what we want to see is the demonstration of them. So Mm. yes, they might be a really nice person and and things, but really that demonstration in their CV or the articulation of that in an interview is really key, but absolutely their ability to work with people, communicate, write well. One of the reasons we have a registration form is so that people actually have to write a little bit about themselves Mm. and we can look at their writing skills. So it's, even though we write CVs and help people with their CVs, we know there's people out there that do that, but this is a document that they actually have to write themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's really helpful to articulate, at least to start to us to understand their communication in a written form. We are often calling people and be prepared at all times for an interview. It is not just a coffee. Mm-hmm. It is always an interview. So always have yourself prepared with some examples of where you've done certain things. And this, the internet's amazing now. There's so many different places to look for interview questions and advice and information, but also thinking, make sure you look in the right places too. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you're really trying to understand a bit more about your clients. And from my understanding, you also work with them. You do coaching. Mm-hmm. I noticed that you have something called the Exec Job Strategy Program, which is trademarked. It is trademarked. Can right. you tell us a bit more about yeah. that? Okay. So I have very fortunate, well, my business actually started writing CVs. Back in 2011, I was a mum with two kids, but the job strategy program has always been there. So it was in its infancy, it was really just a three-page booklet. Now it's a 40-page program that Dr. Sue Forrest worked with me as well. And it's an hour and a half program where People at all levels, and usually after PhDs, we usually send people back to universities because they've got great programs like Psycoms and things. And we work with individuals on how to write the CV and the why. Mm. What I found when I was writing CVs, I'd do the CVs, and then people would send them back, and they changed them all. And I was like, "Why do you change that?" Oh, Uncle Frank said this. Professor that said this. <laughs> and last week, I had someone say to me, he'd give me a page and a half. And I said, oh, so why did you write CV this way? And he said, oh, because this senior guy in reg said that I should only have the last three jobs. He's only a graduate. He's only just come out and only in this area. And I said, and then when I interviewed him, he'd actually in undergrad written two papers for Nature. Wow. Mm. And it was on his CV. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, actually, I think I put it on Twitter. I was like, everyone, they were not writing enough. And the why is why we is what we teach. Why mm. do we have a CV this way? Why do we do it this way? And then people can do it themselves so rather than us rewrite it we can but part of the business is to teaches people how to do it themselves and the why so then they can go away and do it again on another application or another application Mm. so that cv that cover letter but it's also an interview training program we run with that as well and we found a niche because 
it is something that most recruiters don't do. And so it's actually a service that we provide specifically to people around that site to healthcare because we understand the language. We understand what a PCR is or we understand, you know, protein purification or we understand what AI is doing in data analytics. So it's that language that makes it such that it can be read by anyone, but it also can be read by the really technical people and it can be mm. well articulated. And yeah, it's a great part of our business. I love it. And I've, I've really, I'm very fortunate to have someone of Sue's caliber working with us actually running that program. It sounds amazing, Marilyn, and I'm guessing everyone listening is like, oh, I want to do that program. I want to do that program. So obviously we'll we'll link to your site in our Thank show you. notes. But, you. you know, I don't want to ask you to disclose the key parts of your business for free, obviously, oh. but we've talked about CVs a lot. But is there any kind of general advice you can give Absolutely. our listeners about CVs and also how CVs and LinkedIn are related to each other? Because, okay. you know, people say, oh, you don't need a CV anymore because we've got LinkedIn. So I'm really interested to know how important CVs still are, how we do them well and how much attention we should be paying to other kind of more engaging potentials you know people making videos about themselves and things oh that's that's very interesting so I'll I'll come back to the videos about ourselves because we actually do that for interviews now I've seen a real change over the years and when I was writing the CVs probably around about 2015 LinkedIn was really starting to really really take off so I'd always been on LinkedIn an early engager but I really saw it increase I thought oh my CV business is going to die you know that's not going to happen I've actually seen the CV business increase and there's a few reasons around that. One is most of my clients still want to see a proper articulated CV, particularly if you're working in a compliance or regulatory environment for pharma or biotech, TGA, FDA, you know, organisations that are sort of, say, in pharmacovigilance or other areas or regulatory, they need to look and see that the people that are actually doing and giving the advice have the qualifications that's required. So a CV is actually really important to articulate and keep that information up to date such that you know and companies externally know that you've actually got the right people doing the right job because they have the right experience. So LinkedIn definitely is very, very active and very much what we always will look at a LinkedIn. You know, if you'd asked me five, ten years ago, oh, maybe we'd look at LinkedIn, whereas now it's just a given we'd go and have a look. Mm. But saying that... I recruit outside of LinkedIn and the networking is actually where we usually access people that are not on LinkedIn. Some people don't want to be on it and you don't have to be on it. So bear that in mind as well. So that's where it's really great to do networking because I do and we do access people that are not on there. So if you're not on LinkedIn, those that are listening for privacy or whatever, don't be too stressed, but also recruit. You might want to register with recruiters. Mm. But coming back to the the crossover, I thought they were going to die. So in my presentation, I have CV dead sort of rest in peace, but it's not. It's actually (laughs) our business has taken off. We've done CVs of vice chancellors for universities. Yeah, wow. And they need a CV because, and then they have to have their papers. I've done clinicians that have run territories across Australia. The first page is really important. The artificial intelligence on my database, my CRM called JobAdder, does look at the top of the front page. So it's looking for keywords and we search for uh, people under keywords such as, you know, if they've got um, digital or med tech or maybe in neurosciences and their keywords. And if you're applying to a job that has those keywords or that capabilities, top of the front page is really important. And so having often a career summary on the front page is really key. Having some keywords there. I don't want to hear about why you want the job. That goes in the cover letter at the sector last paragraph. Mm-hmm. This is a document about why you're suitable for my role. Okay, so first page impact, second and third page is really about articulation. Please, if you've done a master's or you're doing a science undergrad, anything, articulate what you've done in it. We often have PhDs, particularly really bad at this, and masters have one line. So it's really important to make sure that you align the job and the CV, have really good front cover, really clean, 
no Times New Roman, that's an academic document. You want something professional, <laughs> clean. Our blogs actually have some information as well, so have a look at that. There's a lot of information out there, but look, I think having a number of people looking at it, but think about the why and making mm. sure that the reason why you're selecting it to just don't always listen to everybody as well. Mm. I think that's key is sometimes people aren't giving the right information. Mm. I'm writing that down. No Times New Roman. Yeah, but I want to know what's, what's the font of choice in Maryland? <laughs> okay. What's the, what's I, I the font Cal- of choice? Well, Calibri seems fairly common across. And Calibri is nice, clean, and it doesn't, like, you've got a lot of lovely, beautiful modern fonts. Well, what happens if you don't PDF it and send it in? It can actually change the font because your apples and your mat, your every, there's so many different. But Calibri's nice and clean. I like Arial, but Calibri's really nice. The other thing I get a lot of is CV's written in with cv.doc and with no name. So please put your name. <laughs> like, you know, that's your cv.doc version one. But put Marilyn Jones, if you're applying for a job at Mexic, and also put the date at the bottom of the CV in the, the footer because what can happen is if you send through an updated CV, you don't know what version you've sent. Like version control is really important. So have the date down the bottom, say December 2023. Yeah. Another thing to think about in a position description, if you're looking at it, sometimes the last selection criteria is the most important. Mm-hmm. So I often see candidates, there's a whole lot of list of things and then the bottom of the last selection criteria might say, preferably experienced in, say, neurosciences. Okay, if you've got a candidate that's got neurosciences and one that's got oncology, which one's the client going to take? Mm. The neurosciences. So articulate, particularly in your cover letter, in the first few lines, the fact that you have a neurosciences qualification. And getting back to cover letters, I'll just briefly say one page, usually ideal. Don't, if you're applying to industry role, give me a selection criteria document. It screams academic. So I just want one (laughs) succinct page. First paragraph is around why you're suitable. Then a little bit of a summary. Don't rewrite your CV about why you're suitable and then why you want the job. And then that's all you need. Mm, so yeah. hopefully that's a few of the tidbits but yeah I could spend another hour and a half oh, <laughs> no it's great it's gold it's gold Marilyn I know all of our listeners are going to be t- I can almost hear them furiously scribbling down <laughs> notes there because yeah you're right you know the CV is more targeted and it's mm. the the version I guess of your brand that is. is really going to appeal to that particular job and that brand is so important We also have a brand on this podcast. We're famous for the final section, which rounds off our interviews, the quick fire questions. It is time now to move to that section that we're famous for, Marilyn. And the first (laughs) question that I would like to ask you is... (laughs) How good was that segue? I, I have a question for Michael, and that is, how famous do you think we are, Michael? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're, you know, among the people that listen to us, I know they love this section. We've never asked them. We just give it to them. I don't know if they even like it. No, I've, I've listened to it a few times, and, but I, I haven't listened to one recently, so I'm not really sure. I, I know there's different questions you ask, but I think you ask different questions each time. So yes. a, bit, a bit nervous here now. Oh, yeah. Well, you're in the hot seat now. <laughs> If you had to pick an alternative career, Marilyn, to what you've done, what would it be? To be honest, I did it for a little while. I actually ran pubs and restaurants in the UK. That's another part of my job that I did while I was outside of science. I would have actually, there was at times I was actually, when the kids were young and I wasn't sure what I was going to do and come back, I actually wanted to run my own cafe or restaurant. 
So I love food, I love cooking, and it's a bit like science. You're, you're making things. and So that's probably my other alternative career. Mm. Oh, I love it. Question number two, Marilyn, what is your proudest professional moment or one proud professional moment, given that I'm sure you've had many? I think starting my own business, getting that IBM. Mm. that was that was like so daunting but so exciting and the second one was probably getting my first staff member that was like yeah so I think yeah probably pretty proud and I've got my up on my wall above here I've got all my member like my company formation what is it the ASIC company number and name Mm. and everything so yeah there's I know that's more than one but my first number but also the ABN pretty proud mm, oh, i think yeah. they're things to be very proud of oh i yeah i pinch myself that where i've got to now so. Mm. so marilyn if you could go back in time to witness any science event or discovery what would it be i know it's a bit of a curveball question but there you go <laughs> oh i love science i love i'm a sci-fi fan you know i i really i i love science and biotech i would have loved to have been in the lab when watson and creek discovered dna mm-hmm. You know, I think they just probably had no real idea of what that would actually end up being. Mm. You know, like uh, discoveries of today that people are doing, you just don't often, you think it's going to be amazing, but, I mean, that is amazing what has happened. Mm. And now with the genome and they were talking the other night about it took a billion dollars or something to do the first sequence of the human genome and now we're doing it for $200. Mm. And that all started with Watson and Crick. So I wasn't very good in the lab work, but had I been an academic or in a science lab, I think I'd want to have my Watson and Crick moment and be mm. there. And that, that feeling for the future. So, and also to understand just how much of it was their own work and how much other certain mm. important people played in the role of the, <laughs> of the discovery of the structure mm. of DNA. Yeah, maybe you could alter the course of history. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I'm just waiting for the next major change. Mm -hmm. So there's so much. I think the mindset for me growing up is if it can happen, it's now when it can happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, when, when, come on, guys, you know, when when are you going to do it? It's not like if if they can do it, it's like when. Mm. And from listening to you speak, Marilyn, it's clear you're a very curious person, you know, and a forward thinker. I'm curious to know, is there a topic in science that you would love to know more about, you know, something you're really curious about, but you just haven't had time to look into it? I actually, I really like astronomy. Mm. Whenever I see something around astronomy and the stars and the galaxy and what's going to happen when we go to Mars, for me, I'd love to learn more about that. But also, wow, wouldn't I love to be here to see it all happen? Mm, Absolutely. I can Mm. completely relate to that. Alan, we've come to our very last question and obviously you've shared so much of your wisdom with us today. I'm incredibly grateful. But if you had to narrow it down, what would be your top tip for someone listening who really wants to find and then be offered their dream job in science? My top tip is really talk to lots of people. Don't just listen to one, really connect and network. So part of that is really asking questions about people and careers and opportunities. And I think I think that comes from a personal place where I didn't ask enough questions about Mm. something and I went in there because it was prestigious. Mm. It's better to ask than to not. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's probably my top tip. I think that sounds like a superb top tip. Don't be afraid to ask. You know, Mm. people feel like they're meant to know everything, but particularly if you're a student, but even if you're not a student, how can you possibly know everything? Yeah, definitely. And we're so grateful that you collaborate with us to help, you know, our students. And now you've shared that wisdom with our podcast audience as well. So Marilyn, much appreciated. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your advice. 
lovely to be here. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat. Oh, I'm so glad, Marilyn, that all those years ago, neither of us have any recollection of where we met, but I'm so glad we did because it's turned into Absolutely. such a wonderful opportunity to learn from you. So many thanks again. No, thank you. Thank you both. Thanks for listening, and thanks also to our wonderful production team, Stephanie Wong and Stephen Tang, for making these episodes happen behind the scenes. And thanks also to you, our listeners, for your support. If you are enjoying these episodes, you can help spread the word by telling a friend about Let's Talk SciComm, or even sharing one of our episodes. But that's all for this week. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. See you then.